Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Celtics Lab Podcast. I'm Cameron Tepetabai, joined by Alex Goldberg and Dr. Justin Quinn. It is a little bit past 6 p.m. on the East Coast on Tuesday, which means we just learned that Al Horford has tested positive for COVID, and he will be sidelined for the foreseeable future. Horford, of course, shares this distinction with Jalen Brown, who tested positive just a few days ago. As fate would have it, we have the perfect guest for this podcast this week, Mr. Andy Slavitt. Not only has Andy worked alongside Presidents Obama, Trump, and Biden in several different roles in the healthcare space, but most recently he served as a pandemic advisor to the current president. And he's also the host of the podcast In the Bubble with Andy Slavitt, the author of the book Preventable, the inside story of how leadership failures, politics, and selfishness doomed the U.S. coronavirus response, and has been a prominent voice for common understanding during the entire COVID pandemic. Let's give a very, very warm Celtics Lab welcome to Mr. Andy Slavitt. Andy, how are you? I am so glad to be here. Big NBA fan, so excited to join you. Yeah, we... We wish that we could just kind of talk about basketball, quite frankly, but we could, we could, I mean, we, we'll get to some X's and O's, I suppose you were just promoting <laughs> the Timberwolves. And I think we can agree that maybe next season, uh, but sports, sports are that great intersection of public life. The last kind of bastion where people of all walks of American life kind of hang out. So it's, it's nice to be able to use sports as a way to talk about something bigger than basketball, I suppose. Uh, Andy, you're going to talk us through the very complicated world of COVID vaccines and policies. And like I just mentioned, throughout the course of the pod, we'll kind of make connections back to the NBA and to sports. But we will, of course, trend away from the actual basketball. You've talked to presidents, doctors, and public health officials throughout this pandemic. So we're hoping to use kind of your extensive network and experience and vision to help us answer a few questions that we've been really discussing for way too long now. Uh, just for the listeners, for sake of ease, we're going to break this episode into three main buckets. So Justin is going to start talking to Andy. Um, they'll chat about public health policy at the macro level. Then Alex and Andy are going to talk about kind of the private sector and roles that institutions like the NBA play and the focus on COVID in the association. And then I'm going to hop in and ask you, Andy, about kind of the interpersonal. But first, we have some breaking news that I'm I'm going to ask you about off the top, if you don't mind. So uh, our friend Al Horford just tested positive. We we very much so believe he was a vaccinated player. And I suspect that NBA players are going to test positive at a relatively high rate because they're tested so frequently and meticulously. Can you kind of talk about what you know about testing in pro sports and especially now with these rapid antigen tests, what that means for positive cases? And then I'd add to that, and this is pure speculation, a lot of these NBA players got the J&J and got it several months ago. Do you have any sense that there will be a booster campaign for pro athletes? You know, I'm kind of mixed opinion about what about this sort of frequent testing for people who are vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Uh, or if we do test them, I think we ought to be kind of revising how we consider the consequences of, of testing positive. I mean, let me just start with something mildly sciencey because you got a smart audience. Um, you know, some people think that like you get a vaccine and it works like sunscreen or like some, some kind of like magical elixir that like keeps the virus away from your body entirely. That's not how the vaccine works. The vaccine actually fights the fight inside your cells, typically in the cells in your nose, um, or your throat. Um, but there's these receptors in there and the vaccine works by essentially training your immune system to attack and prevent the vaccine, the virus from growing. But if you stuck a Q-tip in your nose in the middle of that fight, <laughs> you'd find some virus. Right. Um, so, but if you find that virus and you don't have a, any symptoms and, and, or maybe even have just maybe have the sniffles, um, it's very unlikely that you're contagious. It's possible. I mean, it's certainly possible, but but I think we think it's pretty unlikely um, that, you, that you can spread it. So I think our protocols need to be adjusted for the fact that if you're going to test people frequently who've agreed to be vaccinated, that um, we don't overread this and kind of sideline people for long, long periods of time. Um, you know, I think 
So I look, I think that's the most important point. Sure. Uh, any insight into the, the boosters for pro athletes or it's still a little too far off right now? If I know Adam Silver, there will be boosters for NBA athletes. Cool. I, I, I suspect very much so that you're right about that. Uh, I have one more kind of burning question and then we'll, we'll go into our, the trio of chunks that I kind of laid out. The Nets today said that they are going to keep Kyrie Irving away from the team until he's vaccinated. Do you have any thoughts on this saga, how the Nets are playing it, how the team is playing it, uh, either good, bad, or ugly? I'd be honest with you. I really don't understand Kyrie Irving, like, at all. <laughs> like, I mean, is he for real? Is it jokey? Is it – I mean, is he a – like? and by the way, Andrew Wiggins, man, if you had to pick two people in the NBA who I'd say, like – are, are going to be likely to be suspicious about the vaccine who's, you know, maybe their scientific intelligence. I probably wouldn't, I'd probably question at least a little bit. Sure. Kyrie and Kyrie and Wiggs <laughs> might, 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 might be, I mean, what a pair. Um, I don't really know what, 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 what's, what's driving the guy. I do think they had a hold firm. Um, you know what the, the the Nets are doing. I mean that that's a that's a law for a reason. He's not above the law. I mean, what this requirement says is something basically fundamental, and it's fundamental to what the NBA believes. What yeah. it basically says is none of us are more important than all of us. None of us are more important than all of us. And if you think you're more important than all of us, if you disagree with that, if you're Kyrie Irving and you think what you want is more important than everybody else, than the collective then don't play ball. Yeah, and Andy, to your point, you know, I think Joe Tsai, uh, the owner of the Brooklyn Nets, and Sean Marks, the GM of the Brooklyn Nets, pretty explicitly said basically that in the uh, in Sean Marks' press conference today and in uh, some interviews with Joe Tsai. What's interesting to me is that um, in order for this decision to have happened, it almost certainly means that Kevin Durant and Har- James Harden would have had to sign off on this And I do wonder kind of what is going on in that locker room right now, because a big part of why Durant and Harden are even in Brooklyn in the first place is because they wanted to play with Kyrie in Brooklyn. And now they almost certainly had to sign off on this decision. Don't you think that that that's just that, that what's going on is like, Oh, that's just Kyrie. I don't know. Don't that's Kyrie. I mean, you know, that's him. You know, I mean, he's, you know, like they're, I'm sure he's a friend. It's unique. But you have you you have a friend like Kyrie. Maybe you did like in school. You're like, yeah, that that's just Peter. Yeah, he he sits in the front row and eats paste. You know, but he's all right. <laughs> I it's and this is not the point of the podcast, but it seems like every podcast comes back to Kyrie. He's a very charitable person. He's a very thoughtful person. We're all looking for answers, and he's leaving no stone unturned, but I don't want to put lipstick on a pig. And I want to say that I agree. I think he's loud wrong about this one. This is right. No, this is right. But you know, we have, but choices have consequences. So he doesn't have to put, he doesn't have to get vaccinated. No, one, no one should force him to get vaccinated. He's not being forced to get vaccinated. I, I've got no problem with him saying I'm not going to get vaccinated and, and take the consequences. That's, that's all right. Perfect. And that's a perfect segue. Honestly, I love that. Um, so I'm going to turn it over to Justin and Justin's going to kind of continue on that thread with a wide reaching public health lens. So Dr. Quinn, after you. So a lot of people wonder how I ended up to be covering the Boston Celtics in Mexico. And that's a story that's way too long for this podcast. But one interesting thing about how I did end up in Mexico that eventually kept me here is I researched the 2009 H1N1 uh, pandemic in the framework of the sustainability of tourism. Surprise, it's not. Uh, In Yucatan. And so that for me had sparked a longstanding interest in public health that I have since really struggled with in terms of being both a member of the media and just as a person, after some really um, personal events with COVID ended up coming into my life. So I am really interested in talking with you on some of the things that public health can teach us about how to engage people and try to convince them to become vaccinated. And in failing that, using the, the best methodology we can 
to encourage people to get vaccinated in, in other ways, namely mandates, for example, which is, you know, kind of what we've been talking about. Now, the NBA, as far as I am aware, I started following um, in the bubble as soon as you put it out. And it really, like I think for a lot of people, helped calm me. Um, you've since, you know, admitted that a lot of the assumptions you had at the start of, of your podcast have not necessarily borne out. They aren't some of the most positive things in terms of what people would tolerate. And so I would really like to talk, you know, before we get into the meat of it, how you got into this podcast um, and the way that, you know, the NBA specifically played a role in the start of that very first podcast. Well, so my, my son is now in college, but he was a high school varsity basketball player. He was in his, he goes to a school where like, there's no tall kids there. It's a private school. Yet they were, they were playing this single elimination tournament for the first time in like 30 years they were advancing to the state tournament and he was on the team. And, you know, the, the day that the NBA, uh, d- uh, the day that Mark Cuban was sitting on the court um, and got his uh, ear whisp- got whispered into his ear and got his level of surprise about the NBA being um, suspended was the same day that Zach had a game against a team that they never should have beat. And, and in, in fact, they won. And it wasn't until after the game they went back to the locker room and these kids were so excited. I mean, you could picture these kids jumping up and down um, and uh, and then getting told that pretty much that's it. The tournament wasn't going to continue. Um, and so poor Zach had to sit, on, sit home and hang home with his dad instead of uh, continuing the tournament. And he, he said, hey, dad, we should start a podcast. Or maybe he said, you should start a podcast. But I kind of wanted to hear we. Because, you know, it's... You're, you guys are all too young for this. I don't know if you have younger kids, but when your 17-year-old says to you, we should do something, I, you know, he could have said that we should mulch the yard. And I would have been like, you know, we, we would add it. Instead of a podcast, that have a, a, a yard mulching gig, side gig going. But um, I said, well, sure, what should we do it about? And he said, let's do it about, uh, talk to all the people you talk to every day about the pandemic, people in the government, people, you know, governors and, scientists and others and just talk to people and let people listen in and uh so i said sure would you do it with me and he kind of came on air and he, he did a, this little thing he called zach's facts which is this really droll <laughs> kind of um kind of thing and it turned out to be very successful i mean I, mark mark cuban was our first guest um and you know we've since done like 200 more 200 shows and apple named it top pot one of the top 10 podcasts of 2020, which just, just is kind of crazy considering I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, but yeah, you know, the, the, the NBA, um, just given Zach's love of basketball, my love of basketball, our first guest, you know, we had Steve Kerr on, um, we had, you know, other folks on, uh, over time. It was, uh, it was, it was, it was, it was it. There was some connection for sure. So since the start of the pandemic, we've seen this tension, you know, in society more generally, but also in the NBA of of public health versus the economy and trying to balance those things. And I think initially the NBA was a leader in that regard, but they've since kind of run into snags trying to get players vaccinated. They have done, you know, a very good job. They do need, we need to point out the fact that they are at or above the income level expectation of people being vaccinated um, in most communities who make that kind of money. But there's also a lot of negativity surrounding this. I mean, is it overblown? Should we be focusing more? Like, what, what are your thoughts on what you've heard so far with what you know about the situation? Well, look, I think the NBA, I think the NFL, I think NCAA, have all ended up doing a fairly decent job um, doing the right things, getting people vaccinated. They've done it in slightly different ways. But mm-hmm. um you know, and I've talked to I've talked to the governor's group uh, and to and to the commissioner uh, a few times. Uh, I think they take this very seriously. I think there's they're smart people. They don't want people to get sick. They're leaders, and I think they don't look at it as the pandemic versus the economy. I think they look at it as if we don't deal with the pandemic, we don't get our businesses back, and people don't you know 
come back and pack stadiums again and so forth. And look, today we have tools that we didn't have before. I mean, so think of it this way, you know, if you're, if you're fighting a war and you got no weapons, it sucks, but you're fighting a <laughs> war and you have weapons, you've got vaccines, you've got masks. Now we're soon going to have oral antivirals. We have, um, you know, other ways of being careful and we're re- reducing the spread. Uh, you know, all of a sudden you say, well, okay, we, we can, we can manage uh, better. And uh, it was, it's painful. It was painful for everybody to take a full year off um, in 2020. I don't think we're going to have to do that again. Um, I mean, you end up with teams like the Milwaukee Bucks winning the NBA championship when you do that. So please don't do that again. Um, <laughs> so the World Health Organization, some of the more effective interventions that we can make as a society uh, are targeting the under-vaccinated and unvaccinated, recruiting trusted leaders to help convince them. And when the, all of that fails, use mandates as we are seeing affecting Kyrie Irving, not to, to keep bringing it back to him, but some of them that we have seen, such as with the Toronto Raptors, they had to play in Tampa all of last season. Now they can play in their home arena again, but you know, unvaccinated people are, are you know, subject to very, very harsh penalties, you know, years in jail, uh, fines of up to nearly a million dollars, some very, very aggressive uh, fines. In your mind, like what are some of the, the more effective things that we could or are seeing? And in your mind, what, what's like not necessarily productive? Well, look, I think there's a lot of people who are, people fall into a few different categories. Most people who can be vaccinated are vaccinated. Um, Then if you look at people who aren't vaccinated, they're not vaccinated for a few reasons. Some of them are kids and they can't be vaccinated. And by the way, for that reason, if you are not vaccinated, that's a really good reason to get vaccinated because there's a bunch of people that can't and you kind of owe it to them, I think. Then you get people who aren't vaccinated by choice and they fall roughly, I'm going to call it into two categories. Um, one are people who are you know, pretty hardcore or don't want to get vaccinated for a variety of reasons. And let's just be respectful of those reasons. They, they've got questions. They're a victim of misinformation. Uh, they, you know, they've heard things that aren't true. They're just unsure about the effects. They live in an information bubble that doesn't particularly help them. Or, or they're, they're, you know, they're, there are less charitable explanations, um, but um, and then you got a but there there are some some set of people. But then you got this other set of people, which I think are most of the people in the category of people who chose not to get vaccinated. They just don't care deeply. They're not that worried about getting COVID, and they're not that wor- concerned about getting vaccinated. Um, it's just many of them are younger, so. Mm-hmm people between 18 and 30, about less than half of them are vaccinated or about half of them. Um, And, you know, many of them have the rest, a lot of their other vaccines. It's not that they're anti-vaccine, but they think, you know, maybe they've had COVID and it doesn't really matter. But a lot of them say that if they were required to get vaccinated in order to attend a large event or go to work, they would do it. Would they do it happily? Would they do it with a smile on their face? Well, that may be too much. To say, but but they they certainly would they certainly don't object, um, and so this idea of saying, hey, if you want to be around other people in large groups and share the air with them, you know, get vaccinated, turns out to be very effective, very very effective with these large groups of people. And by the way, it can be done very very respectfully, and it's a matter of choices. You can watch you can watch the Raptors on your TV at home uh, without getting vaccinated. No one really cares about that. Um, but if you want to go show up and, you know, yell and scream and breathe on people, that's, that's a different story. Remember, COVID-19 Delta, SARS-CoV-2, it's the fastest growing respiratory illness probably in humankind. It grows faster than chickenpox. It grows faster than measles. It grows faster than any recorded respiratory illness that we can think of. That means that overnight, it's like a wildfire. You know, all it takes is, you know, Alex walking into the stadium, you know, breathing hard, mouth breathing, and sneezing, yelling and screaming and singing, 
And, you know, that could, in a, in a short period of time, a lot of people can be affected. So, Andy, how did you know that that's exactly my process when I go into the arena? <laughs> it's all of our process. It's all of us. It's, 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 it's described all of us. I'm not picking on you. It's all of us. But, but you know, so if Alex does that and he's vaccinated and everyone else is vaccinated, that won't happen. And you can enjoy the game. So for personal reasons, I'm not going to get into too deeply because they've affected so many of us. Um, I found it for a period of time. I'm better now. I've, I've come around emotionally through a pretty long and hard journey. But for a very long time, and this is something I see the media doing a lot, you know, um, playing the blame game, trying to guilt and shame people into getting the vaccine. And I knew that that wasn't going to work from my public health background. And I still found myself doing it out of anger. So I'm just wondering, like, how do we change to become more effective advocates for intelligent decisions as media members and as fans? Yeah, boy, I tell you what. It's a great insight. And, and, and the only thing I can tell you is think about times when you've had your mind changed about something you, you really believed and you publicly expressed an opinion on, right? First of all, if you're like me, it doesn't happen a lot because you're stubborn. We're all stubborn. Um, you know, we, we are all believe what we believe. You know, we, we all believe we're reasonably intelligent people. Um, but I'll tell you what, how it, how it starts and and I've advised a lot of companies who are ta talking to people about this is you got to feel heard. Like if I said to you, I'm going to pick on Alex again. If I said, <laughs> Alex, you're not vaccinated. You should get vaccinated. Here's 50 reasons why, by the way, you know, smart people get vaccinated. Dumb people don't, you know, you're, um, and you're not vaccinated, you know, um, it's not going to go well, but if you get a chance to tell me, look, Andy, there's a few reasons why not my girlfriend told me this or my, you know, th this is what I worry about or whatever. And you're her and, and someone hears you out and says, oh, I appreciate you sharing that. That, that makes a lot of sense. I understand it. Then, 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 you know, you're open to listening and having a conversation. Presuming you're talking to someone you trust. Presuming you're talking to your doctor or you're talking to your bartender. Um, no, not your bartender. But, you know, people who, who's, who you respect, but they've got to listen to you. And so um, there's a lot of misinformation swirl out there. And if you want a place to place your anger, um, Justin, there's a good spot. Facebook. Um, you know, people who, people who make money spreading disinformation, you know, because I, I know exactly how you feel. It's like, oh, I got to blame somebody. Somebody, you know, somebody's to blame. And you hear people saying, you know, stupid things. But the truth is that two-thirds of people who aren't vaccinated believe one of five falsehoods about the vaccine. Uh, and, those, and, and if asked where they learn those things, they say from people they know on social media. And the people who are spreading it, a lot of them think it's true. I have to imagine they think it's true. Um, but they're all getting it from somebody someplace who knows it's not true. And so that's probably a relatively small number of people who know how to manipulate the algorithms and so forth. Um, but, you know, that, that's, that's the fight to fight. It's, it's cutting down on um, all of the gross misinformation and then just respecting people and have reasonable conversations with them. I mean, we're, the pandemic's going to end and, and what, you know, COVID will still be here, but the pandemic's going to end. And then what you got to ask yourself is really, do I want to have bad relationships with a bunch of people I know because we got into massive fights during COVID and I insulted their intelligence and, you know, now there's this giant rift. And I strongly encourage people that our relationships are, are valuable. And um, even our relationships with people we don't know very well. Um, pe people treating people with respect, how we res how we feel about ourselves, you know, in all seriousness, you know, you, you respect yourself more um, when you've treated people kindly. So we all do this. Justin, you're not alone. Um, but the good thing is you catch yourself doing it. And I think you just got to go back to the 
very human traits of, of trying to listen to people. It's hard. It is. Another, another way to look at this perhaps is that you can put pressure on companies like Facebook, organizations that are pushing negative or harmful ideas. But sometimes you also run into ostensibly good organizations, like, for example, labor unions, like, for example, the NBA Players Union, which has taken a stance that isn't exactly anti-vax, but it's not equivocally pro-vax either. So should we be putting pressure on the Players Union? And if not, why are they, you know, for all the good they do, they do a lot of good. Why are they taking this position in your opinion? Well, I mean, I think it's misplaced in many respects. And some of the unions um, who are who are doing this, I think, and I'm not going to name which ones, um, but it's but it's it's particularly troublesome. I mean, look, a job of the union is to be is to listen to the needs of their members and represent their members. And so, um, it's a you very rarely have members who agree on 100 percent of anything. So unions always show up to the table um, to negotiate and they, they often want something. So very rarely do you see a union um, giving in and agreeing um, right away, even the common sense things, or I should say it doesn't happen as often as you might hope it does. But that shouldn't stop us from call, calling it out and saying, look, you got to play a constructive role in this. And um, sometimes um, doing unpopular things or things that are popular with some people, but not with everybody, um, is important. And you can't let loud voices, you can't let the heckler in the room prevail. And that's what happens here is, you know, again, the vast majority of people are want to get vaccinated and want others to get vaccinated. But, you know, you can't let Alex as a heckler just kind of run rampant on everybody. Alex, I think you should defend yourself. I'm going to try, I'm going to try my absolute best to defend myself here. Um, you know, as a targeted shaming and just repeated victimization. No, um, I appreciate it, Andy. I think those were some some very thoughtful answers. I have a question that is kind of related to um, Justin's. And I, I think your response from Justin's kind of covers this, but I'm going to ask it anyway, because I'm, I'm curious if you could expand on this. So one of the tricky things about the kind of tension between unions and uh, vaccine mandates. And we're seeing this in particularly, uh, not just the NBA Players Union, but also in some, not all, but in some nurses unions and teachers unions and things like that, uh, is that um, Joe Biden, the current president of the United States, campaigned pretty explicitly on being a very publicly pro-union and pro-union empowerment guy. And yet some of the most intense resistance to vaccine mandates in at least some, not all, but in at least some sectors of the economy is coming from unions. So based on your experience working in the Biden administration in this kind of public health facing role, how do you square that circle of maintaining union power and union empowerment, which is, I think, a priority of the Biden administration, while also attempting to uh, kind of get these vaccine mandates, or at least this fact, this pro-vaccination policy out into the world. One of the hardest things to do in politics and in life, by the way, is to speak out against your friends um, when you don't agree with them. But you got to, and you know you can't be afraid um, to do that. Otherwise, you're you're beholden to them. And by the way, that's not a real friendship either. Um, if you got a kind of friendship where you can't disagree respectfully about things, then it's not really a relationship. It's just kind of a happy talk for good times. And so, you know, what the president has to do with his, with people who disagree with him and respectfully say, look, we respectfully disagree here. I mean, he's a member of the Catholic church and he um, doesn't personally believe in, for example, abortion, but he does believe in a person's right to choose and he's respectful about his belief and he's respectful that other people have other beliefs. And that's just a fact of life. I mean, I think some of the issue with some of the thing behind the impetus behind the question is that it's like, it's almost like it's not okay to agree anymore, disagree anymore, unless we're getting violent about it, right? It's like disagreement has become um, equivalent of you have of your someone's enemy. 
it's just not how it needs to be. It's not how it should be. Um, you know, we can reasonably disagree about lots of things. It's kind of one of the th- great things about sports is you can argue with your close friend about, you know, the team they like versus the team you like. And, you know, it's not personal. It's not bloody. Um, they're just, they're just disagreements. And I don't think we should be afraid um, to say that you can't work through tough issues unless you can manage disagreements. And that's what good politics is all about. And Joe Biden's a good experienced politician. Um, I don't think it, I don't think he expects the people that support him to agree with him on everything. Fair enough. Um, so speaking about this kind of idea of disagreement and how to do so, um, how, how there's kind of an irresponsible tone to the way we disagree. Um, then there's a responsible one, which you've just kind of articulated, kind of extending this line of thought to responsibilities. What are the responsibilities of organizations like the NBA uh, as a broader institution? I think it's a conversation that's kind of been coming up a lot lately, but you know, there's some question, and I think the Players Union is exploring this as to whether there is a responsibility to large national level institutions, private institutions like the NBA uh, and their kind of related media and individuals. If you had to kind of put it into words, what would you say are the responsibilities of large organizations like this with a national profile when it comes to stuff like this? So to be honest, I'm not 100% sure I understand the question, but I'm going to give it a shot. Um, Look, I mean, when I got into the White House, one of the things that um, on the first day, January 20th, I started immediately getting phone calls from leaders around the country, CEOs, um, other other um, leaders from other sectors, uh, saying, this has been going on for a long time. You guys are there. I want you to know that we're here to help. What can we do to help? Um, Walmart, Microsoft, the NBA, the NFL, the NCAA. Uh, we've got stadiums where we can vaccinate people. We've got logistics. We've got technology. Um, well, what do you need us to do? And the truth is, in this country, more so than in other countries, it, leadership does kind of have to come from everywhere. Um, and in something where you need, you can't get by with 51% of people getting vaccinated you can't even, unfortunately, get by with 70% of people getting vaccinated. You need much, much closer to 100% of people getting vaccinated. You got to go, who do people trust? And everybody trusts somebody different. People who trust the government are already vaccinated. We you know plenty of people who don't have a lot of trust in the government. They don't trust pharmaceutical companies. They don't trust scientists. They don't, there's a lot of, they don't trust authority. They don't know where to go to get their information. So it's really important that employers and churches and sports leagues, places where people look to, for better or worse, for leadership, for authority, for example, take a position on, on these kinds of things. And we've seen it happen with racial justice, right? Very prominently where the NBA st- stands up and it's gotten to a point where people have said, hey, if you're not t- taking a position, take it on race and racial justice, you are taking a position. Your very silence is a position. You know, that transformation happened over a long period of time with a lot of events, but it culminated with George Floyd um, and his, his murder. That I think people started to wake up and realize that if, as, as we've been guided by some for a long, long time, that if you don't call out racism um, when you see it and don't label it, then um, you are allowing it to continue. And if you've got a prominent voice, then it's important that you stand up for what you believe in. So I'd like to think that that's one of the strengths of our country. Um, And I think it says a lot about these organizations. They certainly put things at risk sometimes when they do that. So it's not without consequence. Not every fan's gonna love it. But if you explain yourself and you make it a dialogue and you do respectfully, I think you win way more people than you lose. 
Andy, your answer to that previous question is a perfect segue into my next question. So thank you for setting me up with what a I nice do. assist what there. I do. What? <laughs> <laughs> um, so with regard to that, you know, it's true. I think a lot of us agree on this podcast and elsewhere that, uh, you know, using your voice uh, to really amplify these messages and stand up for what you believe in is a really important and meaningful thing that both the NBA as an organization and individual players have the capability of doing and people outside of the NBA as well. But um, another thing to consider when we talk about kind of the uh, the way in which people use their voice and stand up for what they believe in is that there are particularly vocal holdouts, people like Kyrie Irving and elsewhere in our society that are very much standing up for what they believe in. And it just so happens to be that that is a message that does not promote vaccine safety or COVID safety or awareness. So Shams Charania, NBA reporter, just uh, dropped a tweet that apparently Kyrie Irving, uh, and this is using his own words, wants to be a voice for the voiceless and that he is not anti-vaccine, but he's more upset that people are losing their jobs because of vaccine mandates. So Kyrie Irving is a incredibly prominent and vocal NBA player. And regardless of whether you agree with him or not, a lot of people listen to this guy and he is very much in this case, standing up for what he believes in. So what should be the plan then, I guess, for ultra vocal holdouts such as Kyrie? How do you kind of counter message that? That's okay. I mean, you're never going to get 100% of people. Um, and uh, I think we'd all rather live in a society where people like Kyrie Irving could speak their mind than a society where um, they can't. Uh, does it, again, doesn't mean there aren't consequences for Kyrie Irving, those, but those consequences shouldn't be because he spoke his mind. They should be because he does or doesn't follow the rules. Look, I, I tell you, I, I wish that Le, put Kyrie aside because he's Kyrie. I wish <laughs> LeBron James had been in a different place in this whole thing than he has been. He had an, an opportunity to um, be a leader. He's incredibly influential, um, and uh, he wasn't. He wasn't. I mean, he was. He was um, in a way that I think probably surprised a lot of people um, for whatever reason. Um, he chose to um, look at it differently. Now, I happen to know Carl Anthony Towns. I talked to Carl after his, right, when his mom was sick. I talked to him after she died of COVID um, at, at the request of the team. Um, you know, I think for people who aren't, um, you, you know, for people who, who've gone through that, um, you know, we ought to be paying that a lot of attention. It, at the end of the day, though, um, no one's going to take away um, Kyrie's right to say whatever thing is, he wants to say, whether he thinks the earth's flat or... <laughs> whatever he thinks. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, sometimes people speak for shock value or they speak and say something and then they try to clean it up by creating some kind of fishy explanation afterwards for what they think they were saying. What's going to happen? So I'll pick it up from there. I think that Carl Anthony Towns is the perfect way to kind of have a conversation about the interpersonal. Uh, and take it or leave it with some of these questions because there's overlap with some of the things we've talked about before, but Andy, all three of us on this call are teachers and we should be understanding how do people get and, and make sense of new information. And I got to tell you, I don't have answers. I have been thrown for a huge loop as we all have for this pandemic. So I'm curious about how people are getting their information. Something you touched on briefly. Can you talk us through how you see the national media vis-a-vis uh, -vis the pandemic, the role of the local media vis-a-vis -vis the pandemic. And then I love that you used victim when you talked about misinformation. If you could talk also about social media uh, and how we're learning about the pandemic because what we've learned has changed so much. 
I don't know if there's much to add, uh, but I think the whole notion of social media and algorithms um, and the role that they play is really powerful and in some cases dangerously powerful. I mean, let's just say that, I don't know, let's just say someone named Alex um, wanted to get vaccinated, but was a little bit scared of needles. And so Alex got on Facebook and um, wanted to talk about, wanted to understand how, how that worked. Um, he would get served up, he'd get served a picture of a giant needle. Now, if Cam um, is, you know, his wife or his girlfriend is pregnant and she's, and he wants to know if getting um, vaccinated, her getting vaccinated or him getting vaccinated, well, while that, uh, while she's in, you know, fertile trying to have a baby, he's going to get served up content about that. So what, what algorithms do is they, they give you the exact wrong and for people who want to plant misinformation, don't go on Facebook and say, we are anti-vaccine. In fact, every, everybody begins with, I'm not anti-vax, but, mm -hmm. and then they give you the little subtle point that hits exactly where your concern is. And it, nails its target because everybody who's looking for um, information on the size of a needle will, will absolutely get, will, will, will promote, will use the algorithm to prom that, that will drive up the amount of people that see this. So um, you could go on Facebook, Justin, and be someone who's very pro-vaccine and say, I don't see any anti-vaccine content. Mm -hmm. Cause you, you know, it won't serve up any to you, but unfortunately it will serve it up to people who are making at exactly the right, the wrong time with exactly the wrong piece of information. Yeah. One of the analogies I've used with my students is I'm a Red Sox fan. I'm not going to get Yankees news articles. They're not going to try to sell me a Yankees hat. They're, they're not going to waste their time on that. And I think the way that these information bubbles permeate first of all i think we're, we're not really understanding that we're in our own bubbles um but certainly well let me ask you this question and, and there'll be some redundancies here as just from a public health kind of macro level messaging standpoint how do you think your challenges rolling out the aca and healthcare.gov what what kind of differences can you suss out between those efforts back then and the challenges you faced and what you're facing or, or we're facing nowadays well, look, I mean, part of what President Biden asked me to do was speak to the public about COVID vaccination process uh, at a time when faith in government was incredibly low. And faith in the vaccine program was low and the country had been lied to, I mean, just to be blunt, mm -hmm. for the last number of months, promised things that didn't happen, told it was about to end, things were just around the corner, et cetera. And, you know, I find it very easy if what you wanted, if what you are to do is just tell people the truth in as few words as possible. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, like, like <laughs> this is actually, um, I got a letter from uh, Woj's wife about, about this. And, and I, I don't think she'd mind me saying this. She's a nurse. Um, but I, I went, uh, I was up speaking at this national press conference and uh, from the White House and I was asked the question about um, why weren't the websites giving people, uh, working for people who were trying to get appointments? What was the problem with the websites? And I, I simply answered the question by saying, I don't think it's the websites that are necessarily the problem. <laughs> I mean, you could take the best website in the world. You could take Amazon. And if they don't have enough books, you can get to the end of the process and say, I want this book. If you don't get the book, you think it was a crappy website experience. Mm -hmm. So I said, that's not the problem. The problem is we have a shortage of vaccines. And it was the first time anybody uttered those words. Like, we have a shortage. And I said, you know, in this country, I know we're all pretty uncomfortable with the idea of having shortages. We're used to getting what we want when we want it. And when that doesn't happen, it makes us uncomfortable. But I'm here to tell you we have a shortage. We're going to fix it. 
Um, it will be with us for weeks, possibly a couple months. And when it's passed, we're going to have plenty of vaccines, but this will be an uncomfortable period. I didn't think, it's not a particularly profound thing to say. I think you'd find um, that that's about the most straightforward way to answer the question possible that I could think of. But I got this note from Woj's wife, and I got plenty of other notes of people who said that was the moment that they felt most that most turned around their view of where we were headed because they felt like they were being told the truth. Mm-hmm. They felt like it was, it was, it matched the reality of what people were seeing. It was honest. There was no spin and people are tired of being spun, you know? So they're tired of being, having the truth shaded and they can tell they're going to be treated like adults. And so sometimes the news isn't great, Um, But if you can give simple answers to the obvious questions people have, then I think you're winning. Yeah, and I I really like this notion that you need to make sure people are heard. Um, The episode actually of this week of uh, your podcast with Dr. Zha, I thought the the conversation there said it all. Um, So I would really recommend that to our listeners as a follow-up. Um, if you're interested, just this notion of people that are hesitant or anti-vax, they're not necessarily bad people. They're people who are want to do best for their community and best for the world. And, and they just are operating a different wavelength. So as a follow-up to this conversation, I would recommend folks go ahead and listen to that conversation that you had on your podcast Um last week. And we'll actually close Andy on the sunny side of the street, far away from COVID because this was a tough conversation. So we each picked a question has very little to do with COVID. In fact, that might end up on a positive note. So I'll swing it back to Justin. So my question for, is uh, uh, our closing segment. My question is just how you got to know Mark Cuban and uh, why he drove you to the airport. <laughs> You know, Mark reached out to me uh, sometime like 2017 because he had an idea. I had a healthcare policy idea he wanted to run by me. Mark's a, I don't know if you know Mark, he's a brilliant guy. I mean, very, um, he's capable of learning about almost any topic. And, you know, he's, he's done this with clean energy. He's done it with, um, uh, you know, a number of other things. And he really wanted to get smart about healthcare. And so we spent a lot of time together, got to know each other um, and uh, became friendly. Um, and he's a very accessible guy. So, um, you know, he's, and, you know, I, I, I was, in, I think I told him I was going to be in Dallas. Um, and I, he said, love to meet. I said, well, where do you want to meet? And he said, Let, let's go meet for a cup of coffee. It was pretty funny because we, we go into this like coffee shop. It's crowded. He's obviously pretty well recognized in Dallas. And we're having this conversation about basketball and we're moving around like the sugar and the, like we're, we're, we're like setting a plate like on the plate. And I think everyone's watching us. And then I said, Hey, I gotta go. I gotta run to the airport. Um, and go, he goes, Oh, I'll drive you. You know, and he, he could have a driver. He doesn't. Um, he's just a super sweet, he's a super sweet guy. Very cool. All right. Um, Andy, thank you so much for coming on. This was a very uh, informative and interesting uh, conversation that I think our listeners are really going to like. So um, I, one thing that if you listen back to this podcast tomorrow, I don't know why would, but if if you do, um, you'll hear some music at the beginning. And that music is from my band Divine Sweater, uh, which is, it's a fun time. And uh, as a musician, I got an interesting bit of news from one of my colleagues the other day. Uh, So I have it on very good information that uh, Secretary of State Tony Blinken was formerly in a rock band. And I am wondering, uh, with your vast experience in government and knowing all these people, who are some other musically talented members of the Biden administration that we wouldn't expect? First of all, you're very kind to have allowed me to use you as examples several times. Um, <laughs> it shows the strength of your ego. And now that I know that you're a performer, a rock performer, are you, what kind of music are you? 
Uh, we're like indie rock, indie rock. kind of with a, oh. with a throwback yeah. bent, but yeah. Oh, good, because I thought that was, like my kids would tell me that stuff is dead, but I'm so glad it's not. That's good. I, I wanna, Still holding I strong. Yeah. What's it, what, what instrument do you play? Bass guitar. Power forward? Bass oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> now, Alex and I play basketball not infrequently. He can, he can play power forward. Andy, do you uh, play music at all? Or is there anyone else uh, in D.C. that would join Alex in a jam I, session? Uh, I bet there are, but I don't know. I mean, like, probably people who fashion themselves musicians. But, like, the, the work environment so intense. Like, you get to know people incredibly well. Like, be with them 20 hours a day and not know a fucking thing about them. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, I mean, that, your question just made me realize, like, how well I like don't know some of these people um, that I've spent like, you know, 20 hours a day with for weeks and weeks and weeks on end. Good to know. Thanks, Andy. <laughs> well, I guess the, the lesson to that story is that Divine Sweater is all the music you'll ever need. Uh, Andy, you are the host of In the Bubble with Andy Slavitt. So anyone who really needs an update on COVID, you should come to us for Celtics. You should come to Andy for COVID updates. But Andy, I want to look past the pandemic for our final question, which is what is something exciting that's happening in either healthcare or public health in the US that probably is under the rug because all we do is talk about COVID these days. So what's the thing you're looking forward to in the public health or uh, medical space? I just will say that if you, another reason to listen in the bubble is for the dad jokes. <laughs> if, if you don't have enough dad jokes in your life, um, I, try to, I try to alleviate that. And I'm going to use that as my answer because I think it's a public health service for people to get the dad joke uh, on a regular basis. Um, it, there's been a double blind study that's proved that um, you can live longer and happier with dad jokes. Um, sometimes they give you a splitting headache, I will admit, but, <laughs> but you know, if you make it through, I mean, the side, there are side effects. There's, there's no question about it. Um, but it's better than rooting for the Timberwolves. That's all I got to tell. That's all I got to tell you. Well, I'm about to have dinner with my dad, so uh, I will I will report back. <laughs> Andy, thank you very very much for coming on. We we really can't thank you enough for your time and your expertise, and we also can't apologize enough that you have to watch Timberwolves basketball this season. So, if or whenever you want to hop onto the Celtics bandwagon, we would love to have you on to talk about something other than COVID. Thanks, guys. It was a lot of fun. I hope you don't cut 100% of it. <laughs> <But> no. <laughs> Thanks again, Andy. See you guys. <laughs>